tonight's episode. Arsenal and Manchester City take on each other for control of the Premier League. Is Harry Kane staying at Tottenham or is his next home Manchester United? And does Jose deserve a bit more respect? This is the Talkitaka Podcast. I'm Swagat and I'm joined today by RK and Radha guzzling a couple of glasses of Pepsi and Coke respectively. We have a lot to talk about today but I think the centerpiece of it is got to be the title challenge and the title challenge defining game that's coming up in a couple of days between Man City and Arsenal. So boys, before we get into the main attraction, any talky points you want to talk about, RK, there's a final coming up for your team. Hi, uh... Like my talking moment is also regarding the semi-final where about Weghorst, uh, once the winning penalty is done, runs towards the other end while the entire team celebrates. The You know, the guy's infect, uh, enthusiasm is so infectious. His quality might be low, but he's won the hearts of a lot of fans. You know, with the fight and the passion that he demonstrates, I, I wish some more talented players, uh, you know, showed that week in, week out. But, you know, kudos to having such characters in the team. So that's my talking moment. Yeah, and I'm pretty sure we'll discuss this uh, in more detail when the FA Cup final actually approaches. But looking for a domestic double after a long time? Yeah, looking for a domestic double and, you know, might have to uh, be in control or, you know, have something in our hands of preventing a treble. That also might be huge. Ah, yes, the added motivation. And another team who actually did a domestic double last season, Radhaji. What's your talkie point of uh, the last few days? Yeah, I mean, uh, I, traditionally I could have gone for a, for something to do with Trent because the boy is playing really well. But uh, I'll go for the Arsenal game. I think the last 88th to 90, 91st minute of that game, I, I mean, even now when I'm thinking about it, I'm just getting excited. What an amazing end to the game it was. It was exhilarating. Arsenal... Probably, obviously, everybody would have, uh, everybody related to Arsenal would have liked to have got the three points there so that they could have drawn against City and still been alive. But uh, what a comeback. I think they are definitely showing that they have uh, nerves or they have some kind of problems. Uh, They're missing Saliba. But at the same time, you can see the champion spirit that has got them thus far as well. So they're making up for all the mistakes and errors and and bad performances with some real character. And I just particularly love the fact that they just kept it. Uh, they kept going at Plan A. They didn't get. It, they didn't panic. They didn't try and do something crazy. It was just amazing. Great game. Uh, Arsenal have been involved in so many amazing games this season. So yeah, Arsenal is my talking moment of the week. Yeah, and uh, for me, I think the talking point. Chelsea's got nothing interesting going on. So, um, Newcastle-Spurs was a very interesting game this weekend. And 5-0 in 20 minutes. I think this has been the earliest that uh, fans of a club have started leaving the stadium. Like, after 21 minutes, the Spurs fans started to leave. And they might be about to sack the caretaker. That's probably the first time that's that's ever going to happen. Isn't that just the most Spursy thing Spurs could do? Like, sack a caretaker manager after a few <laughs> games. It's just... It's just amazing. And they, imagine how hard it must be for a Spurs fan. It takes everything that they have every week to even go to the game and then 
they have to get up and leave after 20 minutes i feel so bad for them sorry this is the favorite word which i have been you know hearing on social media and seeing uh, this week buzzy yeah we just filling the up void on this uh, on this episode ourselves but yeah imagine going so far up north and then leaving after 20 minutes and probably going to a pub and drowning your sorrows but yeah let's come back to arsenal and uh, rather you talked about how they have uh, demonstrated a champion spirit but uh, they've also dropped points and it's been what three games now that they've let go of of three points okay this game they were always chasing the win but uh, it's not working out exactly as they had hoped and probably due to the lack of experience that these guys have uh, in terms of title challenges even though they seem like a good uh, group plus also the specter of city i mean just keeping on their heels and not giving them any breathing space at all i know i just said that they played like a team that uh, has done a title challenge before but that's more specific to their staying true to their style of play i think in that's in that context but overall you can clearly see that they are not able to deliver at the same rate that liverpool and man city have over the last 4 5 years in 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 those title challenges heading to 95 92 98 points and all of that uh, i think that's something that city uh, have gotten their groove on i've i've gone from 60 40 city to now 70 30 city i would say uh, it's still I, the only thing I wanted out of that Arsenal game is for that for it to be a shootout at the end of the game. That is a direct result from that Arsenal City game would determine who wins that league, and I'm very happy that 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 is still the case. So City provisionally a point ahead with their games in hand. Uh, so Arsenal need to go there and win. I think that's exactly how I would have wanted it as a neutral. So I don't think Arsenal are that team yet who can. ice a season ice some games like the big man city game that's coming up so i do think man city have the upper hand here um, but i still like i was saying in the talky moment i just nothing but respect and praise for the way that they just stuck to their guns stuck to plan a arteta has really created a culture of uh, excellence at that team of course they're they're giving up a lot of easy goals they're giving making a lot of bad mistakes i think southampton had fun on the counter yesterday but all that aside i think uh, arsenal fans have no reason but to be anything but proud of their team this season anyway some of the arsenal fans didn't even expect this so they should be happy about it uh, you know having said that the last three games uh, i i think the anfield one was something where they saved a point so for me any potential title challenger coming away with a point in those circumstances i would think as a positive for a title race but the next two games uh, west ham and southampton i think those are must six points you can you cannot drop you know points against those teams in a title race especially with the kind of fixtures that they have coming up man city uh, they have newcastle away they have brighton at home uh, chelsea is also there but i am not including that in that bracket but you know uh, th- uh, and if uh, like arsenal had this phase earlier in the season in feb where they had one point from three games that is that always happens every season but repeating that again and getting three points from three games it just shows you know the inexperience the nerves that you you know that you guys are talking about what is most clear to me in this whole run is how naive they have been sometimes in how they are pressing they there have been times you know where they have forgotten their shape you see 
two or three people making the same move which is very unnatural for an arsenal team or a you know some or a team that you associate with a very good structure and then what happens is once people get through that you know two or three people congregating towards one player and then suddenly you have space available in midfield to run into and that's what you know multiple teams have done so that's been the main i mean takeaway for me when i've been watching them but of course as radha said like along with that inexperience along with that slight panic once they have a setback they don't really give up they stick to their attacking play so a lot of their attacking play has still been you know very good people like martinelli saka uh, have been you know at their uh, you know at their races i think i criticized jesus of all people a lot in that match i, I thought he should have scored a minimum of one goal and uh, yeah uh, i i really i think riled up arun by saying that he choked in a big game but for me uh, he's a striker who's been traditionally you know he's been a poor scorer but i thought he should have made more of those chances and it's in these kind of games that you know people like haland make a positive difference and jesus you know make a negative difference and i i know that it's not taking the bigger picture into account but these kind of things stay in your memory as two strikers who make a difference and who don't i have a question here about uh, the defense the scoring has been still going on fine as you said even though jesus didn't score but someone is st- still scoring three goals in this game two in the previous two uh, is saliba missing a key component of why they are struggling now see i i think it's very easy to uh, just go back and say okay obviously saliba is a big name who's missing um, and it's easy to just correlate the two i do think that even when saliba was around for a few games they start they had started to look a little bit weaker in defense um, i so i don't think it's just a case of one man one person not being around um obviously that has not helped i mean i don't think that is uh, uh, definitely caused a, like caused them it's caused them a lot of harm let me put it that way but i think overall there is a lot of like rk was talking about things that have nothing to do with saliba right like if you are making uh, slightly naive rushes at the ball maybe not uh, not everybody going at the same time uh, some of the counter attacking situations yesterday was not yesterday whenever the game was but it was it was really i would say just like lack of organization across a back six uh, rather than one person being missing i don't think saliba being there would have changed uh, too many things uh, so yeah i think there is a maybe a little loss of structure loss of um, shape overall in the team and perhaps they don't feel themselves that they are that really tight defensive unit that they were before the world cup you know what a guy like saliba helps with is he gives the backline a lot of confidence to push higher so when you don't uh, you, when you have a guy like holding who's uh, you know probably not anywhere close in terms of pace uh, you always drop a few yards deeper and suddenly you can have you know certain uncertainties like another thing where arsenal have uh, you know been poor after feb has been the set piece defending so it it might be structural and partly in the last few games might be because of saliba as well but i think even before saliba their set piece defending had started to kind of decline so i think i would uh and i'm still more with radha that you know it's it's more structural more mental i think that's leading to structural issues but uh, of course when you have a guy like saliba who's got all the attributes and at the peak of his powers and you know despite his young age and he gets injured you're going to miss a player like that yeah just before we move on i think uh, um rk mentioned jesus and i think i think it was maybe Four, five, four months ago, when we discussed on this pod, I think Jesus was going through a run 
of maybe six games or seven games without scoring some really insane run without scoring and we were all debating the same thing that is he is he that guy you can depend on on a tight game this was that tight game i think it's very clear and we were all in agreement uh, when we were discussing that he is not that guy he is not the haland he is not the sala he is not that guy who one chance one goal in a tight game is definitely not that guy i think at the end of last season just before he scored four goals in one game he had the worst record of any striker in the premier league for the last 5 years in terms of goals versus xg and i'm sure that still stands maybe somebody from brighton would be giving him competition but uh, i mean he's not the guy who's an efficient finisher but if you look at things over a 38 game season he has he has brought so much improvement to arsenal i know that they struggled without with that injury and he wasn't around and they had to make do with the likes of inketia who honestly shouldn't be a title winning team's backup striker but i think he's brought tremendous value to the team he he plays like a playmaker forward as well so uh, that way him and firmino are somewhat similar in that they they're not just all about the goals um but yeah they have to figure out a way because saka is efficient martinelli has been efficient at times but they need to have one consistent guy it worked for liverpool when they had firmino at 9 because sala was their actual goal scorer then they need to find that goal scorer in their team who is capable of getting that 25 goal a season uh, mark although they've done really well without needing that player this season i think going forward in the longer term they will need a guy who can get you those 20 goals a season what i was asking was for those one of those three or four you know guilted chances to be converted it's not it's not you know asking for a lot the kind of chances that jesus had i think i mean that's the minimum expectation you would have of a striker i i am a big fan of his overall movement his energy and his skills but i mean such you know if you flop at such times with such chances you're also a liability on the on the other side yeah just for our listeners who uh, aren't very familiar and missed that uh, voice note that arun sent us arun is rk's twin brother and they both live under the same roof and they were having a detailed argument <laughs> on whatsapp probably sitting next to each other at 4 in the room, morning at 4 in the morning <laughs> about whether jesus choked or what you can expect from jesus it's quite entertaining for everybody but i just cracked up thinking that they're probably sitting next to each other and just texting each other that was pretty funny <laughs> i think i think that was more for the benefit of the audience who was like okay you were part of the initial conversation may as well take you along for the rest of it but yeah let's talk about the other guy the other forward who's who's not letting up um, and with him is city and and they keep uh, marching on i don't see any failings from them in the next few games i think arsenal are the only one who could uh, potentially trouble them uh, in their run they also have brighton but they both have brighton i guess so if 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 you negate that it's it's going to be really tough for arsenal because city don't seem like they're letting off any steam they they even uh cotton wool up haland they only let him play like 30 40 minutes as as soon as he gets one or two goals they're like okay yeah you're off no need for a hat trick for you go off we need you for important games um, there're not too many left but uh, yeah i don't see them dropping points unless arsenal take any from them yeah i think that's what that that's what i was saying earlier right they're in the zone now you can't get man city out of the zone now they don't need training they don't need tactics this is muscle memory now for them this is except for that one season perhaps where they really fell below liverpool and liverpool ended up winning the league they have been at it non stop for five five seasons and i think that's where i guess 
that was always the doubt against uh, Arsenal winning the league. That City are capable of going on runs that other teams are just not capable of. And they're going on that run now. So yeah, it come, it. but on the plus side as a neutral, it's a shootout. And if it's a shootout, then you never know what can happen. If it's one game, uh, three points on grab, playing each other almost almost at the end of the season. I don't think as fans we can ask for much be- uh, much better setup than this. So yeah, it's all in that game. It's Arsenal versus Man City for the title as far as I'm concerned. <laughs> I was hoping for Arsenal to win the last two games just to, you know, give more of a buffer for the entire run-in, you know, and not just for this game. Because, you know, when you look at City's fixtures coming up, I mean, sad to say, but Chelsea are probably the third toughest, you know, game after probably Arsenal and Brighton, uh, you know, both of which are at home. So, I, I, uh, you know, don't really see where the drop points are coming from, you know, unless something really, uh, you know, unexpected happens in the Everton game, which is coming between the Champions League ties, I don't know, like, we are just looking for straws like that. And what that also shows is, you know, in the middle of all, you know, we had this chat a couple of months back that, you know, City are the better without Haaland or with Haaland, but, you know, this fixture list shows that they have got through some really tough fixtures with a lot of points. And I, I think the, the biggest thing that turned around this season is probably that John Stone's invention by Guardiola. He was always looking for this four, you know, box midfield, having always, you know, four people in midfield. Finally, he did that by pushing a centre-back forward. I mean, he tried doing that with the left-back coming into midfield. He tried doing back, you know, uh, you know, doing that with the false nine in some games. But finally, he got the centre-back to, uh, you know, play in midfield when they are in position. And that, you know, helped them to retain Haaland in his uh, original, you know, role as well. So, I think that's the most dangerous that City have become now and probably... Really has almost cracked the code of how to use Helen. Yeah, so you you mentioned it's it's basically a shootout now, and uh, so what's it going to be? It's it's on a midweek. It's like just two days away now. Uh, not much of a turnaround time uh, for either team, even though Arsenal played on Friday evening, but. Uh, Unless it's the stereotypical Pep will overthink it and play Rodri as number nine, etc. I'm I'm not feeling it for Arsenal. I'll be honest. You know, as you were talking, all all I could think of in my head was, yeah, it's got to be Man City. Then as you kept talking and time went on, I'm like, but what if Pep does some crazy shit? And that's that's pretty much where I am. I think uh, mine says Man City. But uh, Pep is always capable. I think he doesn't like these one-off playoff games. He is not a good manager at this. He's a great manager for a hundred-game stretch. Uh, but one that's that's pro- and we'll see what happens in the in the Real Madrid games in the Champions League. But those are exactly the kind of fixtures that he is probably. If you could point out one weakness in Pep Guardiola, that's it. So, I mean, I know that that's probably playing both sides, but for me, I have to say, if I if you had to point a gun to my head and ask me which, I would go with Man City. I, I actually think, you know, with just respect to this fixture in itself, these recent results might help Arsenal to put up a good performance because suddenly, you know, they they would also know that they are the underdogs and probably that feeling would help them, you know, take off some of the pressure that they have been putting on themselves. So, I mean, I I think I'm also more on hope than you know, actual expectation, but I, I'm really hoping for a, you know, great game from Arsenal and probably Arsenal getting the, you know, three points in that game is the only way that the running is going to be, you know, interesting. Yeah. You know, uh, another, just just another thing on Arsenal fans though, 
they need to chill out and like give Tottenham Hotspur a rest, bro. I mean, like their their entire livelihood, happiness, passion, everything is so entwined with the the fortunes of Tottenham. It's just it's just crazy. I mean. <laughs> like like alex ferguson said lads it's tottenham or upsets guys it's tottenham i mean it's it's tottenham man like you can't be a serious club if you are so in, in, entwined with what happens at tottenham i don't know i can't take you seriously then <laughs> okay let's keep on uh, man city's trail then and uh, it's going to be i think the first ever manchester derby in the fa cup final Spoiler alert, Man City and Manchester United both won their uh, FA Cup semi-finals for this to happen. Um, City had uh, an easier ride against Sheffield United. Uh, United had to come through a penalty shootout win against Brighton, as mentioned by RK Wood Vegost, bringing in all the joy and fun of being a Manchester United player, which probably some others have lost. RK, did you... I mean... Your jinxes on WhatsApp aside, how comfortable were you feeling during the game? Not much, to be honest. I'll, I'll come to the about Vegas bit. Uh, you know, I think the game was a pretty cagey, tight game and Brighton probably shaded it a bit. Brighton were dominating the position uh, and probably some of the territory and United, as they do in these kind of games uh, against opposition who like to have the ball generally, don't really bother about the ball too much. So, they were, it was, you know, more of a middle block and them trying to cut off the passing lanes which Brighton liked to use and then trying to be direct on the counter. So that was the game plan which United had and uh, it. I think both sides kind of negated each other out. Uh, uh, like both sides did their basic game plan well but in the final third were very wasteful. Both, I, I think, you know, the actual chances which uh, United and Brighton created would, uh, you know, would probably not even come onto the XG because some of them didn't, you know, didn't even end up in shots. So, it was a game just, you know, you could say was a bit low in quality, but that could also to do with both the sides' intensity. United have been in this habit of, you know, swinging like a pendulum in terms of their form. The Europa elimination was one of our worst performances in the last few years also, include even, you know, if you take in the previous, you know, 10 years, which were like rock bottom. So that's the kind of, I think that, you know, we have a squad which is running out of steam. We have injuries and stuff like that. But... It's still uh, the good thing to see is that Ten Hag is not allowing them to get onto that negative momentum. There's a lot of, you know, spirit and a lot of push from him, I think, in terms of winning mentality, which is probably slowly leading to United turning around the corner. To Wout Vegost, that guy, I think, swung the game our way. Some really notable performances I'll talk about, I think, at the end uh, in a bit probably. But I think the real changing moment uh, was Wout Vegost, you know, before Solimars took their penalty kick. That was the first attempt at shithousery from the team and he kind of prodded David De Gea also who was pretty passive into some action. Yeah, I mean, in a matter of a few months, this guy has scored probably the goal of the World Cup and 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 now a kiss of death while handing the ball over to, um, to Brighton. Uh, he just gave the little ball a smooch and... Uh, and then De Gea finally started doing something. He went and looked at the ball, looked at the spot, kicked around the spot a bit, stood there for a bit of extra time. So I didn't catch the game. I, I actually was uh, watching another big game. I mean, I was this close to calling Ajinkya Rahane my talking moment of the of the week, but uh, 
but yeah, so I didn't catch the game, uh, but I did watch the penalty shootout, and I felt like uh, these guys were. It was just like I think Ab made a good point. The fact that they've now not allowed uh, keepers to get off the line, I think it's just going deep, deep, deep into uh, penalty shootouts because they kept hitting the corners and we kept like everybody took such good penalties. They're also confident because the keepers can't reach a certain part of the goal. Um, it needs that shithousery and Emiliano, Emi Martinez showed it um, uh, to great effect in the World Cup. So I think it, it definitely needs something extra. Otherwise, like Chelsea and Liverpool did last season, you just keep going until um, until they, they turn off the lights. So yeah, good to see some some bite from 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 Weghorst and then finally from Digay. And I think that did make the difference. I mean, there were a couple of nervous guys at Brighton. Uh, I think it was Estupinian who looked really nervous. A little bit of push over the edge and I think Estupinian could have missed. But uh, they finally did it at the end and it worked. So, uh, watching Radha talk about Bout is when I got reminded that he really liked him. <laughs> <laughs> but Wout uh, is the key question, right? Uh, he's on loan at Man United. Man United love him. He's owned by Burnley who are coming back to the Premier League next season. Where is he going to be playing? He's definitely not going to play for Burnley. They, they, I think Burnley are going to uh, play with some inside forwards, false nine kind of shit that uh, company will think up. Uh, I don't think Woot Weghorst will feature in their plans. Uh, but yeah, I mean, I think it, I don't know what RK thinks, but even as a, just as a squad player, as a mentality player, I think it's worth con- thinking about keeping him at United. He comes up with which might even not be related to football. It really makes you think that this is the kind of player you know you want to be present in the squad just for the you know what he brings to the team, the the togetherness, the passion. I think uh, you know a few people in that squad uh, and probably in every squad need reminding of you know those kind of qualities. I think once in a while. So like after like before yesterday, probably I was more on the quality side and he definitely not a Man United player. Uh, but you know, it, you don't always need very highly talented players. Probably, if he's happy to be a squad option, coming off the bench and providing some kind of impact, uh, I think Eric Ten Hag for one would be happy to keep him. But you know, talking of penalties, uh, I'm I'm really happy for two people, uh, Sancho and Rashford, especially after you know what they went through after missing in the Euros, especially for Sancho. Uh, I, I think that, you know, taking that kick was very, very important for him. He seems to be going through a lot. Personally, I don't know, but he's been really off-colour. Uh, he's not at all been impressive with the way that he's playing and he needs these kind of, I think, uh, you know, Phillips to his confidence. Rashford, I think, he's in a moment where probably it wouldn't have affected him too much, but I'm really happy that those guys took those penalties. Just a shout-out to, you know, two players who have been in the past, you know, much derided as well. Uh, those two, I think, were the shining lights of yesterday's performance, and that, that was, you know, Van Bissaka and Lindelof. I think Lindelof. I saw a tweet uh, by someone on Twitter who said that, you know, Lindelof looks a very different player when he is not playing with Maguire, and I, I think this season that has been true actually. Lindelof has shown his qualities when playing with different partners. He seems a good fit with people like Shaw, who have, you know, good pace and who are good on the ball. Van Bissaka. I mean, Mitoma has been someone we have raved about on the sport, but he completed zero dribbles. And I mean, Visaka also has been a revelation in the second part of the season. And probably, 
one of the guys who's making a really strong case to continue next season as well moving on to a squad which has uh, all negativity around it uh, tottenham hotspurs as we were talking about a bit ago five goals conceded in 20 minutes caretaker manager being about to be sacked potentially newcastle making fun of them on social media as are probably the other 18 clubs and probably some from the championship as well i'm happy to talk about a club which is not mine which is down in the dumps so uh, i wonder if uh, this is the norm and you don't even hear anything about their managerial search right for chelsea you got okay this is the shortlist there is one secret guy then the secret guy is also revealed and whatever the weirdness of having company and postcoglu on the on the managerial shortlist not no, you're not hearing anything about uh, spurs it's it's as if no one cares and people are probably just hoping for daniel levy to go out of the club it's it's just weird but no one does care that's that's the point i'm making it's it, no one really gives two shits about spurs man that's the that's that's the basic crux of life but anyway i i mean they are not uh, i think if there are there are a few jobs available right now in, in england like chelsea then of course i i think everybody will be waiting to see what happens to the chelsea job before committing to spurs so um yeah it's uh, it's not unnatural i would say um also i mean i i don't know if you guys caught that match it was just it's like you know when you're playing fifa and you you get your center back sent off and before you make your change to formation and all if you continue playing how utter shite it is like there's a guy standing deep in midfield and he just plays a through ball which is seems like the most basic pass and it just cuts through the entire defensive line and there's somebody running through on goal i mean it was it was a joke from start to finish uh, but yeah i mean that's first aswak uh, what do you think with respect to nagelsman now that he is out of the running for chelsea why did that happen and is nagelsman now candidate for spurs i'm i'm not sure so uh, again this is just rumors that i'm uh, i've i read today and it's it's pointing to nagelsman potentially being unhappy that he wasn't the only pick like this this job should have been mine basically why am i going through an assessment center basically so if if that's the deal then okay fine go ahead uh, is he the favorite for the spurs job now i don't know i guess he would probably hold out for real madrid if that becomes available and real madrid won't have too many options unless they take zidane back or they try and steal someone from another club but if ancelotti is actually leaving nagelsmann has been touted in the past to be someone that madrid have liked so it might be a bridge too far for him considering the the not the egos but the stature of the players that inhabit the real madrid dressing room it might be a bit too far for him but let's see spurs i think he he would walk into that uh, dressing room as the manager and no one would doubt him but i don't think that it's probably the best job for him to go to yeah i'm i'm i think everybody is getting a bit carried away also with this nagelsman talk uh, i mean listen the big test was this bayern job and he failed it like why are we why how can with what conscience can we mention the name real madrid uh, like i i am like flummoxed he this is his first big job this was his like okay throw him into the fire and let's see how he reacts it's not gone well 
I think Spurs is the right kind of profile for him. It's a big enough club and it's not uh, perhaps the the most elite job that that's there in the market. I I think it's a good fi- it's a good fit for everybody uh, in that sense. And he's very much a person who has to prove himself. I I I am not of the belief that he's in the world's elite managers and Real Madrid. I mean, please, I, I would I would I, I'll slap myself if that happens. <laughs> But if you call uh, Nagelsmann as having failed at Bayern Munich, what has Tuchel done at Bayern Munich? <laughs> Coming to that, I mean, 37 games, three losses for Nagelsmann and seven games and three losses for Tuchel. But uh, yeah, anyway. RK, you had something on Kane. Yeah, you know, we're talking of someone with a point to prove, someone who doesn't have anything to prove, probably Harry Kane. It's also, you know, pretty... Uh, kind of intriguing to see what he's going to be up to next. Uh, there are a lot of links with United, but personally, uh, you know, having signed people like Casemiro and Ericsson, I am a bit cautious of signing another one in that age profile who we would have to replace in, you know, a couple of years. Uh, like for me, I would I would rather go for a big money signing. I think we, like we discussed that name before the pod started. <laughs> <laughs> he's he's so scared of even mentioning links that he's not saying Osiman's name. He's like, I will not say the name that I mentioned. He who, he who must not be named. <laughs> but uh, the, yeah, if you jinx, can go all out for Osiman, come on. The Jinx brothers are, are are at it in full form. No, but uh, I think I think it's the time has passed for for anybody to any serious club with futuristic ambitions to look at Kane as a potential signing. He's still world-class. I think we were talking about it, me, um, RK and I met over the weekend and we were, last weekend and we were talking about uh, the Van Persie signing that United made all those years ago. I think there's a lot of similarity in that. He's clearly world-class. He's clearly going to get you that 25 goals that any, any club will, will, will like, you know, they'll rejoice if they add it. But he is a two-season, three-season max kind of signing. And the, given the project that Ten Hag is working on right now, I don't think Kane is the right person to be looking at uh, um, in here. Like I, I think when City were trying to sign Kane, it made a lot of sense because they just needed that guy to finish off the goal. In, eventually, it let, ended up being Haaland a year later, which is, I think, the much better move for them because it's a futuristic one. But... At that point, when they were trying to get Kane, I think it was the right fit for everybody. I don't think United is the right fit for Kane right now. Rather, rather Kane is not the right fit for United right now. Yeah, but considering he's just got uh, one season left on his contract, why not uh, take a chance on him? It might just be the Van Persie move, as you say. Do something for two or three seasons and uh, and then go off. See, as it is, he's not going to go outside England now. He's he's close to share his record, so he's going to stay here. It's either going to be Spurs or it's probably going to be United. I don't see him moving to a club like Arsenal or Chelsea. City don't need him now. It's, it's either going to be United or it's going to be sign a new contract and stay at Spurs. He's got the Spurs record already, so that's already ticked off. Let's see how that uh, turns out. But yeah, I wanted to talk about the Newcastle uh, performance as well. Is this, and and this is a two-parter, so is this the norm or is this an exceptional season because of the World Cup? In terms of, we've seen a lot of churn for uh, the teams that are going into Europe this season. Uh, potentially three of the last season's four teams out. And uh, also, I think, RK, you mentioned something about uh, these extreme results between top-tier clubs. 
So let's let's discuss both of these points. Uh, do, do we think that next season is going to be a bit more of uh, what we have come to expect of as BAU, or is this going to be the new norm? So if you look at the teams, you know who are currently in the top four. I think probably Arsenal and Newcastle and Manchester United. All of them have been, you know, one of the biggest spenders recently. So in terms of, you know, how they have spent, I don't think they are far off from, you know, how the you know, uh, like the pre-existing top four were. So, probably they would be here to stay. They have got a stable, you know, kind of base with good managers. So, uh, it's not like they're going to go away anytime soon, probably. And then you see the people who are dropped out. Uh, and that's where it gets more interesting. Liverpool, I think, have shown signs that, you know, they need to continue trusting Klopp and with the right, you know, especially midfield and uh, enforcements. I am sure that Liverpool will be back to, you know, their old level of intensity. At least that's what they should hope with such a manager at the helm. Uh, Spurs and Chelsea, I think that's where uh, probably there is a lot of churn and probably really mismanaged clubs there. I don't really see Spurs in coming back in the short term, especially if Kane leaves the club. You know, they are in for a lot of trouble. Chelsea, I think, have got really good players the way that they have spent money, but... You know, with all that is wrong there, they're looking for a new manager, their owners dipping their nose into any sauce they can see. I mean, the, the, I think I think there's a lot to sort out at Chelsea and probably, but you know, you never know in football. United were, you know, screwed up a year back. Now they are in the running. Uh, Newcastle, they were close to relegation before the ownership thing happened and you know, look where they are now. So it's very difficult to predict. Yeah, I'm going to go out and say that I think it is a one-off. Uh, not not for United. I think there's I think there's enough there to see that Tenag will get a will get progress every year. I think that's that's there to see. But for Newcastle, I think they will struggle to repeat. I mean, I'm assuming they finish in the top four this season. I think they will struggle to repeat that feat next year. Um, I think I keep going back to this point. Uh, somebody posted in our group and we talked about it in the pod as well. If you look at all the teams that uh, uh, are struggling this season, it's all the teams that played the most minutes last season. So, uh, obviously, Man City are not struggling, but they've been nowhere near the run rate that they've been hitting consistently over the last five years. Liverpool was the, the other club that had played a lot of minutes. Chelsea was another one and West Ham was the fourth. So, these are all four of these guys are... Um, really struggling in terms of their their uh, momentum probably because of the way the season is and also i think every every manager has been saying it for the last how many ever months that they're not getting time to train right it's just match after match after match after match so um, i think definitely the the good coaching setups and the good teams with high quality i think will only benefit from a more stable season a good rest in the summer a lot of time to train in pre-season a lot of time to uh, trained during the season. I think it will get better for Liverpool and I, I think I agree with RK Chelsea. I'm not very sure. Uh, but I think Newcastle will be the team out of these uh, four that kind of drop down uh, out of the top four next next year. Uh, that being said, I'm assuming they don't go and spend some 250-300 million uh, in the summer. Uh, but that's always possible with their ownership. But yeah, I do think that Liverpool will come back stronger. Particularly now that they will definitely spend some money, get some signings, even if it's not Jude Bellingham. I think that Newcastle are going to spend big, you know, this summer. Although they do have, uh, you know, they are not really going, uh, you know, haywire like Chelsea. But I, I really expect them to spend big, and I hope that you know one of those players is McTominay as well. Uh, you know, but 
coming to the other point of the anomaly of the season this looks a bit like uh, you know the season couple of years back where we saw some of those you know 6-1 result 7-2 result it might have to do with this being such a long season and being such a you know a fatiguing season for some of the teams who are in europe as well uh, uh, like for me personally these results you know look look like anomalies not just because of the odd season that we are having but if you look at the xg across those games right i think newcastle also had 3.5 xg or odd and they scored you know six goals liverpool had probably 3.5 xg they scored seven goals uh, so i i don't expect these kind of you know results where you score a goal with every kind of shot getting repeated too often no i think that definitely happens okay so actually all the big games i mean i'm not i don't not don't know all the stats but every time i check the xgs on some of these lo- big scoring games it is like 3 4 like max 4 and 1/2 i've not seen anything more than that uh, but still like the conversion is better typically in those games like people have their have a good day and all but i think what won't happen is the way that the other team is just crumbling so many times this season like uh it happens one of like southampton used to do it every season and they were the only ones right but now every se- every team is having a moment like that uh so that's the that's the thing i think won't happen uh next season i think people will have a better sense of okay things are not going well this is the system i revert to these are the things that i continue doing i think that part is not there this season so much i think people are playing a lot on uh, just momentum a lot on uh, um what whatever little training they've had through the week i think that will get better next season so the the efficient teams will have good days but i think the other teams will get a little bit better okay uh talking about uh, the bottom of the pile and the most interesting race the race to avoid the drop uh, i think sadly it's getting a bit clearer west ham i think beating bournemouth uh, virtually safe now wolves also virtually safe um, palace i think are safe virtually or really however we look at it and the field is getting narrower but uh, it's getting tighter between those teams because it's it's like the ones who were uh, ahead are dropping points and the ones below like leicester have just gained a few points so it's it's going to be tight it's it's going to be like 3 from 5 or 3 from 6 but uh, yeah kudos to Same. <laughs> no, I th- I think we'll survive not because of what we're doing, but because of <laughs> how, how bad the others are. And I think that might play to the advantage of the bigger teams next season, where uh, you will still have so many poor teams in the league because of uh, because of this bunch, which is all bunched up uh, together. That uh, the bigger teams will have quite a heyday, and probably if. Holland plays 90 minutes every game next season he might actually end up with 50 or more goals but uh, yeah any thoughts on uh, these guys uh... yeah for me i think i was uh, happy with the recent upturn that you know west ham have had uh, just i think for david moyes sake and probably leicester as well i think leicester is the club we all at least i want to continue see continuing in the top flight so you know with that in mind uh, Uh, you know, I, I, I definitely don't want Leicester to see the drop. Uh, but if I look at the table right now, as you said, Wolves are pretty much safe. So I'll just start off with, you know, Bournemouth, uh, Leeds, Leicester, Everton, Forest, and Southampton. If you had asked me be- between these three teams, you know, which ones I want to see getting relegated, probably it would be, you know, Bournemouth, Southampton, and Leeds. 
is what I would like to see getting relegated. But looks like Nottingham Forest have, you know, really hit a bad run of, you know, sequence of results. They played well against Liverpool, but somehow I don't see that momentum coming back for Forest. So, not really sure. I, I, I don't, really, you know, really want to call any bets in this uh, race so far of the last six teams. Yeah, and when Southampton were leading uh, 3-1, it was like they were just goal difference away from being safe. So, it's still so close and it's it's so fun to call. But uh, as, as a race, I think, uh, as I said, it's getting tighter. But uh, we shall see in the next few weeks how it pans out. Yeah, I think in terms yeah. of momentum, uh, probably Everton are looking really bad. Forest are looking bad. Southampton, probably that was just a flash in the pan. Uh, but other than Everton and Forest, probably the other team who's been really in poor momentum is Leeds. So... I, I wouldn't be surprised if, you know, Leicester kind of makes some ground over the next few weeks and Leeds really come into the reckoning. I'm just hoping that Everton finds some way out, preferably in that Man City game to do something. Yeah, it looks a little... Um, I was really delighted to see Leicester win at the weekend. Uh, I really wouldn't want them to get relegated. Um, Everton, I was just... I think I was telling you guys earlier... Um, it's probably the only team all season that has been constantly in this relegation scrap. People around them have churned like left, right and centre, but I think Everton have always been um, in and out of, say, two weeks from a relegation zone kind of situation. Uh, that's not a good sign. I think when every club has had a, um, ha- had a period which has made them look very safe, extremely safe, and, and then falling back into the relegation zone. Everton has almost consistently been in that zone. Uh, so that's, I think, what's going to... That doesn't bode well for them. Um, if it's between Leicester and Everton, honestly, it's a tough tough call for me. I, I, I like both those clubs. I would much rather a Bournemouth or a Le- or Actually, Leeds also, I wouldn't mind them to stay. But I would much rather Bournemouth get relegated than some of these clubs... Uh, there. But yeah, it's going to be tough for Everton, I think. They don't have the momentum. And more than anything else, they don't have anybody who can score goals. Uh, they don't have a manager who also creates goals. So, I think it's going to be tough for Everton. Yeah, I think I think it's probably going to be one of these guys going down. Forest, I think, are down. And Forest and Southampton will find it really tough to, to survive. But we shall see. And uh, just doing a quick... You've, you've gone and you've gone and done it now. Like, I'm... T- like Forest is twenty seven points and and Leeds on in sixteenth around twenty nine points. Next week, next week, Forest are going to be out and one of these other guys are going to come in. Oh, by, by the way, uh, I th- I think we have uh, Leicester versus Everton this weekend. I think if not not weekend. Uh, uh, no, it's Leeds versus Leicester, and that's tomorrow. So so that might clear up some of these things as well. But we shall see whose jinxing powers are strong and whose are waning. Hey, uh, so I just got some breaking news. I thought I'll uh, share it with you guys. So Tottenham have sacked Steelini. Uh, I was hoping for this to happen while we recorded. So yes, I mean that just that just shows shows you what like loud level of team they are. But uh, sacking their interim or whatever their their caretakers. Uh, Caretaker manager, like that's that's how things are going over there. But anyway, yeah, you go on, go on, Swag. This is what I hate the most. Every team seems to just look out for a United fixture and sack their <laughs> manager before that. 
are no amount of jinxing is going to do anything spurs are not taking any points of you guys don't worry about it i mean even yeah, chelsea would probably beat them right now and that's saying something as well yeah <laughs> but you, you know one more interesting fixture that i was just looking at uh, with respect to relegation is southampton against bournemouth southampton if if they are able to pull off a win that would really spice things up as well yeah yeah absolutely i th- that's the beauty of it right all of them are so close by that uh, just one result can change it as as rather said forest will probably be out of it now that i've said that they're going to get relegated but just doing let's do a quick uh, europe roundup before we go uh, it's going to be a milan derby in the semi final of the champions league and a battle of the heavyweights between man city and real madrid in the other semi final i think you would probably if you were a betting man you would probably say that the winner of that game will win the tournament as well but uh, any early predictions of who do you think is going to come out on top in that game yeah i i um real madrid you can't look past them um though i mean i'm just like walking right into this one but real madrid always look like they can be beaten they always give you that feeling that little bit of hope that people think they're okay they are there for the taking right now i think we can they they have weaknesses we can score goals against them that's how every bloody fixture starts and then they come and school you in a i think no better team i've ever seen in the history of football in in a two leg knockout just real madrid i think we'll take this but man city are probably the best team in the competition at this moment in time um in the other side i'm all in for milan um always liked milan uh, more than inter and rafael liao is just uh he's just too exciting uh so yeah i'm i'm rooting for uh, milan real madrid final it will be like the two big heavyweights from the early 2000s uh if you had asked me before the tournament which are the two teams that you don't want to win this year's champions league i would have told city and madrid but the kind of situation now with the treble looming i mean that's the last thing any manchester united fan wants is for another team to do a treble and especially man city so for once you know i i didn't support real madrid even during the madrid liverpool games i mean to a large extent obviously in the final i i wanted them to win but you know this is the first time probably i'll be more you know like kind of rooting for real madrid but on the other side i don't know i i am also with milan in terms of I, I, you know you you can't really pick between the two sides the way that they are in the table etc but i think any team which has lukaku probably won't get my uh, you know <laughs> kind of like so yeah in the europa league it's potentially going to be a roma versus juventus final and that would be a spicy spicy affair both of those teams also fighting for the top 4 considering juventus's ban of 15 points not ban penalty of 15 points got uh, uplifted over, overruled and now they're back in the top 4 and it's just three points that separate both of them so that can be pretty spicy as well but uh, you you have to talk about you know jose mourinho when he does these things is probably the second season and he's really you know on a roll here and i i really wanted to share some of those clips of mourinho with you know dutch uh, journalist where the you know after the first leg the dutch journalist was really uh, you know like for some reason on his case and he was chiding him 
saying that you learned some lessons and you know you know why don't people play like jose they play like pep etc and i think what what jose said was you know the game is not even won and you are you know kind of crowing it's only half time it's it's only half time <laughs> and and after the result i think he he also you know kind of took a you know kind of took a dig at himself with the respect 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 you know so he's, he said he's, jose is really on role and and i you know like my bet is on uh, roma winning the europa he's he's just too much fun when he's happy he if if he's in a happy state of mind he's probably the biggest entertainer of the football world yeah and and if he's somebody else's manager like that's i think uh, <laughs> i i i don't think i don't think you would want him to be managing your team uh, with his style of football and with his uh, sometimes frustrating uh, tactics but if you're if it's a third party and you're watching from the outside he's just blockbuster that absolutely love jose i do feel like his style of football has become a little bit obsolete but i mean if he can win the europa league with uh, with roma that will do wonders for his career he knows that he can get a gig just to go win a trophy here and there still i mean he was always that guy but i thought he had lost it but if he goes and beats juventus and wins a title with roma that's that's pretty great um i, I like i think the italian teams are doing uh really well i think it's great for seria when we were talking about the different leagues around europe maybe 3 4 months ago we talked about how italy is really wide open and this is probably the and we were using it as the antithesis for bundesliga saying that this is how a league should be everything's open everybody can win the title uh, now it looks like there may be a bit of that in the bundesliga as well i can't believe it but here we are yeah and ashwin is missing on this one but yes dortmund are actually top and they've just got five games to go if they win the five games they're going to be champions that's that's often too much to ask for uh, because dortmund are like um, the german spurs but uh, we'll we'll see how that pans out but yes interesting times indeed that is just too low like too low ashwin to listen to that's just that's just uncalled for i mean dortmund is not spurs i mean come on but but anyway uh, by the way if you guys haven't watched it uh, definitely check out the giroud goal that uh, milan scored against napoli uh, if you want to see in one 30 second 40 second frame what rafael leao is all about my he picks it up from his keeper i think and then just runs all the way to the end and sets up a tap in just world class player man that guy exactly as jose has been mentioned and as he usually says respect 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 on that note we shall leave you here listener and we shall reconvene after the man city arsenal game i don't know if it's going to be later this week or after the weekend but keep your eyes and ears peeled for the talkitaka feed and on that note have a good evening bye bye